Danny asked me a month ago if I'd fill in for him today. And I told him I would. He said Blake will do the 11th, and that would be First Responder Sunday. And he said, if you'll do the 18th, that would be great. And I said, well, I would love to. I would love to. And I said, Danny, that's, um, that's the Sunday that we begin a new sermon series. And I said, would you like for me to wait and, and kind of preach a standalone message or, or go and move forward with the series? And he says, you go and move forward with the series if you want to. It's, it's whatever you want to do. And so I said, okay, and I began to pray, and the Lord kept bringing me back to, to this, this, um, this passage and this series, and so today in a new series, the Beatitudes. Um, how many of y'all have ever heard of the Beatitudes? Man, y'all not as spiritually illiterate as <laughs> other churches I've seen and served in. Hey, I got a question. Why... It gets better. Why, why do they call it the Beatitudes? Because it's the attitudes that ought to be. That's why. It's not rocket science. It's the attitudes that ought to be. And so, man, that just flopped, didn't it? I tell you. All right, enough with that. Enough with that. Listen, Jesus, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting it's interesting that if you look in your Bibles and you look in, Math, uh, in Malachi, the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter of Malachi, the last verse, you know, what, you know how it ends? Who said that? Stephen? Dadgum, Paul. Come on up here. You take, I'm going to sit down and you preach. Oh, that's right. It ends with a curse. The last chapter of the Testament and the last verse ends with a curse. Now, from the time Malachi finished his writing till the time Jesus showed up, there's a period of 400 years where God never spoke another word. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a period of time where you don't hear from God? Can you imagine what the Hebrew people were thinking? Where, God, where are you? Why aren't you speaking? And then all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus happened. That's right. We're getting ready to celebrate his birth. And, 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 and so, guess what? This is, this is his first message, his first public sermon. We know. Guess what he leads with? He leads with what we're going to read today. He leads with a blessing. Whereas the Old Testament ended with a curse, Jesus takes and he flips the script. He, he turns things upside down with his first message by, by preaching a blessing, starting with a blessing in the New Testament. I think that's really neat. And, and so to, to, to set the context... 
let's, let's look, talk a little bit about the political side of things. Back when Jesus appeared on the scene, Rome ruled, and they ruled with a, an, a, 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 an iron fist. You do things their way, or you get thrown in prison, or you get nailed to a cross. That was the, that was the form of punishment back then, the preferred form of punishment, you know, for criminals. And so there wasn't a lot of foolishness. And then in the religious context of things, you had the Pharisees among other religious groups. And, and, the, and, the, and the Hebrews were still under the, the, the Old Testament. And the sacrifices. And all that, God, God gave them the law. But Paul tells us that the point of the law and who could, who, could keep, who could fulfill the law? Who could keep the law? Did the, could the Pharisees do it? No one could do it. Nobody could keep the law. And that's precisely the point. That's what Paul said when he said that the law is a taskmaster and the law was given to do what? To point us to the need for, a, for the Messiah. For a savior. That's, that was the whole intent of God giving the law in the Old Testament. He knew his people couldn't keep the law. He knows we can't keep it. It's a taskmaster. And so he said, he, he says, I'm going, to send, I'm going to send the Messiah. Well, the problem with that, with the, with the, with the religious elite of the day, is that, and the, and the Hebrews in general, is they, they, they believed that a Messiah was coming, but they were looking for a, a, they were looking for a political and military leader that could, that could deliver them out from under Roman rule. And Jesus didn't fit that bill, did he? No, he came for a much greater purpose. He came to, to set people free from sin. From sin and shame and guilt. And so read with me... It, Open your Bible, whatever, and read with me, <clears throat> beginning in Matthew 5, in chapter, I mean, uh, chapter 5, 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, that's Jesus, on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be accepted in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How many of us here this morning want, want to be happy? 
I, I want to be happy. I, I'm, I, I'm not into sadness. I like to be happy. Well, this word blessed means happy. And, and I, when, I, when I got saved and started going to church, I, I remember that I heard Sunday school teachers and pastors differentiate between happiness and joy. And they said, happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Joy is, in, is eternal. It comes from within. And is, and is independent of my circumstances. But in this, in this text, Jesus uses the Greek word makarios, which means happy. But it's not a superficial happiness. It's a, it's a state of, of spiritual well-being and spiritual pr prosperity. What does... <clears throat> what does our culture today say it takes to be happy? Money? What else? Huh? Fame, yes. What? Yeah, good looks, that, yes. Yes. Man, if you look good... People love you and you're happy. What else? How about, how about position? If you got a position, you got power, I'm happy. That makes me happy. Intelligence. Intelligence makes some people happy. I've, knowledge, I won't go there. I barely scraped by in school. I graduated, thank you, Lordy, from <laughs> seminary. But, but see, that's what the world says brings happiness. But what's the problem with that? Can we lose our money? We sure can. We, we can lose our money. Can we lose our knowledge and our intelligence? We sure can. There's things that can affect our mind and our thinking, and we can lose that. We can lose our intelligence. We can lose our the knowledge we have. Can we lose our talent and skills? I think we can see that almost every weekend in sports. We see athletes that may get hurt, some of them career-ending injuries, and that's it for them. They've lost it. You, you come in one morning, and you have the corner office with a view, and that afternoon you're told to box up your stuff and get out. You're, you're no longer employed. Your good looks can fade, your fame can fade, your popularity can diminish. We can lose it like that, just like that. I was looking in preparation for this, I googled celebrities slash suicide. And boy, I, I bet I, I could have spent I don't know how long just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And these are people that had the knowledge, they had the fame, they had the popularity, they had the looks, they had the money. But for whatever reason, 
How many of y'all have heard of John McAfee? I, I, I knew of him, but I didn't know it. But I knew what he was known for. What was he known for? Does anybody know? Yes. He was a, John McAfee was a multimillionaire who wrote the first antivirus software for computers. Yeah. McAfee antivirus software. Kate Spade. How many ladies have y'all ever heard of Kate Spade? You know, people, Naomi Judd, five-time Grammy winner. These are folks... I remember Danny showed not too long ago a video of Tom Brady. Man, the guy that's won more Super Bowls, got more Super Bowl rings than you can shake a stick at. More money than he'll ever spend in his lifetime. Married to a supermodel. And yet he said, there's got to be more to this life than this. Somebody that's got it, got the money, the fame, the position, the power, the popularity, the looks... What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, he says, you can be happy, but it's not a happiness that the world gives. It's something much more deeper. He says, he says blessed or happy are the poor. He or the poor in spirit. He didn't say blessed or happy is the poor. So Jesus is not talking about physical or material poverty in this current context. He's not talking about that. He says blessed are the poor in spirit. And that means to recognize that we are, we're powerless to save ourselves. We're powerless to save ourselves. Isn't it interesting that he starts... By saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. This, this very first public message. We lost our inheritance in the Garden of Eden. And from that point on, all of us have been born into spiritual poverty. To be poor in spirit is to, is to have a genuine sense of bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy. What can you and I, what can we bring to a holy God, to the one who created us? What do you and I have to offer him that, that can secure our place in heaven, that can restore us to a right relationship with him. Can I teach enough Sunday schools uh, studies? Can I preach enough messages? Can I visit enough homes and visit enough shut-ins? Be good enough. I can't. I can't. And so that's what to be poor in spirit means. It means that we have a genuine sense of helplessness before God to save ourselves we can't do it it's a sense that if there is to be any life joy or usefulness it will have to come from God 
and his grace and mercy. <clears throat> Romans 3.10 says this. We go to the word, it says, there is none righteous, not even one. And so, to me, that's all-encompassing. Of all, of all the people that God has created since time has began, there's not been one that's righteous. Not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of God's glory. All. Not just the handful of people, but all people have come short of His glory. And then Isaiah 64.6 says, But we are all like, un like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. I grew up <clears throat> believing in Jesus. I grew up believing in God. I grew up believing in Christmas. We, we celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Easter. Um, I believed as much as a kid, teenager could believe. I believed in it. Believed in Him. But when I was 21 years old, I recognized I, I, I can't save myself. I, I'm in need of a Savior. And I know that I'm a sinner. And see, prior to that, I was trying to be a good person. I was trying to li live a good life. I tried not to hurt anybody. I tried, you know, I, I tried to be respectful. I was trying, my parents were trying to raise me right. But when I... When I got saved, I realized that, that the righteousness I had prior to that was a self-righteousness. It was a self-righteousness. And he tells us that that, that that kind of righteousness is like rags. And so we've got to come. You know, Peter, if Peter, the one that preached his first message after, after Pentecost, 5,000 souls got saved. What a, what, a, what a preacher. And yet, Peter is an example of pride. He, he's, he's a big, strong guy. He's confident in his abilities. And yet, it wasn't until he recognized the glory and splendor of, of Christ that he recognized his own spiritual poverty. Paul wrote three-quarters of the New Testament, studied under the, four, the foremost rabbis back Jesus' time. He studied under him. Paul knew the Scripture. He was a businessman. He was a true blue blood, a Roman citizen. And yet, if you go to Philippians... You, re, you can read Paul's resume in the book of Philippians. You can read his resume, and it's pretty impressive. And at the end of that, what does Paul say? I count all of it but lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. That's what he says. And then y'all remember the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18? The Pharisee, they come to the synagogue to offer their offering, to present their offering, and the Pharisee comes to the front, 
and the tax collector comes in, and the Pharisee sees him, and what does he say? I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Oh, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be him. I'm glad I'm not like him. And what, did, what was the tax? The tax? His attitude was one of humility. Lord, forgive me, because I'm a sinner. Now, which one of them did say went away justified that day? The tax collector. See, all of these went away happy because they humbled themselves before the Lord and they became poor in spirit. They became poor in spirit. All these other blessings, all, all the other blessed, blessed are the mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, every one of them has got to begin with this first one. They, they, they flow in order. And so the first one is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We, 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 sometimes we get it backwards in the church. We try to work and work and work and work. And when in reality, we, we have to become poor in spirit first and then work. We've got to be saved first. Otherwise, the work is at, as filthy rags. We've got to become poor in spirit. What does Jesus say is the result of becoming poor in spirit? In this, in this text, what does he say? What's the result or the reward? The reward. He says, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Now, you, now I'm not, may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I can tell you that you can't be too poor and own a kingdom. And that's what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy and their spiritual poverty because they inherit the kingdom. They will inherit the kingdom. Luke 12, 32 says, The kingdom belongs to those who come to Christ and trust Him. James 4, 10 says, Humble yourselves and He will exalt you. Isaiah 57, 15 says, The Lord will dwell with and revive those who are poor in spirit and have a contrite heart. You could take contrite out and put humble, have a humble heart. And what a trade-off. I was thinking about, about this earlier and I thought, think about the kingdom of heaven. What do you think about when you think about the kingdom of heaven? This side over here is pretty quiet. If, if somebody doesn't speak up, I know some of you, I'm going to start calling you names. <laughs> what do you think about when, 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 you, when, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? What do you think about? Eternity. Yes, 
Eternity? What else? Me being the materialistic guy I am, uh, and so infatuated with material things, I'm thinking gates of pearl, streets of gold. Man, think of that. Think of heaven is going to be like, I guess it's the song I can only imagine. Can you imagine walking on solid gold streets? Gates of, of pearl? The foundations built with precious stones and jewels? But, but not just that. Think about the very presence of, of God will be there. They'll, that, it's going to be a place where there's, there's no more jealousy. No more... Uh, Pain or suffering, or there, there'll be no more sicknesses. In fact, there, there'll be no need of the sun because the Bible says that the presence of God will illuminate the whole place. And it's all, it is all reserved for those who recognize and come to the Lord. And, and say, I, Lord, I have nothing that I can offer you. I'm spiritually destitute. I'm spiritually bankrupt. <clears throat> I want to read you something as we close. I think it, I think it, um, it, it kind of summarizes this morning, this message. It, there's a little devotion that Sandra and I use. It's called the experience. And, and we've used it for several years just kind of read it over and over through the years. But this one is, pertains to uh, this passage, Matthew 5, 3. It says, financial advisors will tell you one secret to monetary success. If you want to become rich, live like a pauper. Many billionaires are famous for their chintzy lifestyles. They live in modest homes and drive ordinary cars. They consistently live below their means, and the money they don't spend is invested to earn high returns. On the contrary, bankruptcy files tell the sad story of many who lived as though they had much more money than they did. The rich didn't spend the money they had and the poor spent money they didn't have. The key to financial prosperity appears to be understanding or underestimating your wealth. The key to spiritual prosperity is much the same. Many people falsely assume their spiritual bank account is full simply because they are good. They try not to hurt anyone. They don't break the law. They go to church every Sunday. They give to charity. But they are deceived. They're exaggerating their status in God's eyes. They conclude that God must be pleased with them because of their goodness. They need to understand that their good deeds won't cover their spiritual debt. Their spiritual debt is immense. It's overwhelming. In fact... They'll never be able to pay it off. You guessed it, they're spiritually bankrupt. Jesus said, 
We will inherit the kingdom of heaven only when we recognize our inability to pay our spiritual debt. When we admit our spiritual poverty and understand that without Christ, we are spiritually destitute, we actually become wealthy. In fact, our riches will not be depleted in our lifetime or either in eternity. By assuming the attitude of a pauper, we'll build up a limitless bank account in heaven. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. Another word for it is humility. <clears throat> kind of the way I see it this morning is there's two types of people that are here. There are those here that have recognized their spiritual poverty. They've recognized that they, they have nothing to offer God. And they've called out to Him for salvation. And, and he, has, he has heard their cry and He has saved them. But there's another... There could be another one here or a group here that have been trying to, they've been trying to live, it, live on their own, under their own terms and in their own wisdom. And they've been trusting in self rather than recognizing their inability to, to satisfy God's holiness. And so for you, our prayer this morning is that you might become poor in spirit that you would recognize, I have nothing to offer the Lord. I can't, I can't save myself. I have nothing to offer. Spiritually, I'm, I'm destitute. I am a pauper. And if you do that, the Lord will hear you, and He'll save you. Now, I was thinking earlier too, is it possible for a Christian to become prideful and to begin thinking more of himself than he should? And I, and I think the answer to that is yes. And, and here's why I think that. God blesses us as Christians with so many spiritual blessings, but He also blesses us with material things. And what happens is we allow those material things to control us rather than us controlling them. And, and we can become prideful. And so the answer to that is to humble yourself. And, and the Bible says that if, if I will humble myself, that the Lord will exalt me. And when I humble myself, and, and I get a clearer picture of who God is and who I am. And I recognize that I need Him. And I can return to that state of being poor in spirit. And so maybe there's some here this morning that, that, that need to repent of pride 
and self-centeredness and return to a posture of humility. Whatever it is, you can make that decision right there and where you're at. But as the praise team comes and gets ready to sing our last song, I want to pray for us. And I'll be here at the front if I can pray with you. Whatever decision you have to make, I, I'll be here to help you with it. But we want you to know that you can make whatever decision you need to make right there in your seat. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this passage. Lord Jesus, it tells us that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of being nailed to the cross. And Lord, if your son can humble himself, we can certainly humble ourselves. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's someone here who, who um, has never become poor in spirit, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, you're here and you're going to receive them. Lord, if they walk out this door and, and, and they get home and they recognize their spiritual poverty, Lord, you'll answer them right there at home. Lord, you'll answer anyone, anywhere that cries out to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray for us as Christians, Lord, those that, that have called out to you, Lord, and, 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 um, and are saved, Lord, that you would help us to, to um, be careful to maintain a posture of, of humility before you, Lord. We, all that we have, all that we have, all that we ever hope to have, all that we are or ever hope to be, Lord, is because of you. And Lord, we, we praise you and thank you, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would, would have a freedom to, to work in our lives this morning, that we would open ourselves up to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.